You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. When Candy and I were just becoming um, parents, someone gave us this advice, and it may be the same advice you heard years ago. They said, when you have children, the days are long, but the years become short, right? Anybody remember that? Uh, and you remember, if you're, if you're out of that stage, or maybe you're in that stage, you know it personally well, uh, you can attest to that. I mean, you remember what it's like to go through the teething years. Anybody know what that's like? Anybody remember that? Uh, anybody know what it's like to, to go through those sleepless nights, right, when they don't go to bed? Or the terrible twos, or the terrible threes, or the terrible twelves, which we're in right now, right? <laughs> Does it ever get any easier, mom, dad, you know? Uh, one of the things we remember, though, as we look back on the lives of our boys, are those monumental moments, right? I remember the first words that my both, both of my boys said. They both said, dada. No, no, one of them did for sure. Uh, but one of them said mama. But uh, I remember the first steps. You remember their, the first time they walked. I remember when both of them surrendered their life to Christ and I got to pray with them. I remember when I baptized both of my boys. And then I blinked and both of them are in size 13 shoes now. That's true, actually, right now. Ryder told me the other day, Dad, my feet hadn't grown in a while. I said, thank God. We've been buying shoes like every six months, you know. But, but they grow up so quick. And so what I wanna do today is, I wanna teach us today the importance of why we need to be present with our children and our grandchildren. And then I wanna teach you how to be present as parents and grandparents. Now, let me just say a disclaimer at the beginning. By no means have I figured this out, okay? Let me just say today, as I did last sermon, uh, I am preaching myself into conviction today, okay? Uh, and conviction is actually better than guilt and shame, which is a tool of, this, of the enemy. Conviction is the, this motivation to do something different, to make a change, to, to respond to the Lord and make a course correction. So I don't want you to feel bad about this. I wanna challenge you, motivate you to do better for the glory of God. And so if you have a Bible, and by the way, you're gonna wanna make a, make a difference in, or make a change because these years are so short, they go by and you miss them. And if you don't believe me, ask the great theologian Trace Atkins when he said, you're gonna miss this. <laughs> you're gonna wanna get this back. Okay, so that's true, right? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 127 is where we'll camp out today. And this will be uh, like the whole series. It's not the typical exegetical, expositional, deep theological message. Now, by the way, if you want more of that, People, people say, man, I wish I could go real deep in the Bible. And obviously on Sunday, we have a lot of different people here, different walks of life, people far from God, people close to God. But if you wanna go deeper, we have a podcast that Colin Wood, myself, and Andrew Bolton uh, have called The Forgotten Jesus. So if you're interested in that, how many people came on Wednesday night years ago when we had the Wednesday night Bible study? Okay, about 12 of us. So it was wildly popular uh, back then. And so, uh, no, I think it was, uh, it was pretty well attended at one point. But that's what that is. I'm making all the Old and New Testament connections. You go online uh, where podcasts are, The Forgotten Jesus. Uh, podcast if you want to go really deep in the Word. Today, we're going to see what the Bible says about parenting. Psalm 127, verse 3. If you have a Bible and you're looking at the screen or have a smartphone, you can say Word if you're there. The Word of the Lord. Some are, or son, some, some are indeed a heritage, yeah. Sons 
are indeed a heritage. You could say children. Children are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with them, when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. And so what I wanna do is give you five practical steps to be present as a parent with your children. And I wanna begin where we've really begun the entire series, and that is number one, if you're taking notes, your relationship with God will affect every other relationship in life. And I'm beating a dead horse here, but I want you to really get this. Your relationship with God affects every other relationship in life. Now, in order to study scripture, whenever you're studying scripture, and if anybody ever comes to me on Sunday morning and says, hey, what do you think about this verse? Then my response is, my first response is, what do you think about that verse? And then I say, let's look at the context. Because a text outside of the context can be anything you want. So let's go back to Psalm 127, and let's look at the context of this passage, particularly verses one and two. So if you have a Bible, if not, you can look at the, uh, the screen here, watch this. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in what? Vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in what? Vain, you see the repetitive nature. In vain, you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Now, I'll give you one guess. Who is the writer of this Psalm? If you're looking for clues from this word vain, this word vain, this word vain, the word vanity, does that ring a bell? Who do you think it is? It's Solomon. Now, here's a fun biblical fact. Solomon only wrote that we know of two Psalms. This is one of them. Now, he wrote some other books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, but it reminds us of the same theme that he talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, which was all of life is meaningless, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, meaningless, if life is accomplished or tried to be done without the Lord. And basically what he says is, if you're building a house without the Lord, it's in vain. If you have effort without the Lord, it's in vain. If you try to lead your marriage without the Lord, it's in vain. If you try to parent without the Lord, it's worthless or useless. The best parenting comes when God is leading the relationship. And so I like to say it this way, your relationship with Jesus is essential to have a healthy marriage and to be a God-honoring parent, to be a God-honoring mother or a father. Now, knowing that, we get to verse three, which is this line. Sons are indeed a heritage of the Lord, offspring a reward. Now, the key word here is this word heritage, which is an interesting word. It's actually the word that means gift from God. And I would just pose a, a provoking question right out the gate. Do you view your children as a gift from God or a burden to your life? Because how you, if you view your children as an interruption or an inconvenience, you're gonna in turn be very impatient with them. But if you view your children as a gift from God, as a reward, as an inheritance, then you're gonna love and protect and be patient with them. But Robbie, you don't understand. Uh, Pastor, my daughter has some mental disabilities. It makes it really challenging for us to parent. Uh, my son has some health challenges. Uh, my child has uh, ADHD. My child has uh, so, some issues in their life which make the parenting process very difficult. And honestly, if we're honest and we're talking right now, Robbie, it's been a burden for us at times. 
And we've asked the Lord many times, why us, God? Why me? Why do we have to deal with these challenges with our child? If you've ever said that before, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, I, I wanna offer some consolation this morning. When God looked out on the world at the billions of potential parents to be the parent for your child, he looked at you and he said, this is the best person that I chose because he knew that you would do the best job with your child. Of all the millions and millions of parents out there, he decided that you would do the best job as the parent. We know parenting's not easy, and we know it's, it's difficult at times, which is why we always encourage you at Long Hollow, never do it alone. See, one of the things we offer here at Long Hollow is we have various groups, many different groups that can come alongside you with men and women just like you in the same situation, same stage of life. We have adoptive parent groups. We have foster care groups. We have blended family groups. And so let me just challenge you, before you leave, go to our welcome center and say, hey, we need, we want to come alongside. We're not in this alone. We don't have these isolated challenges. We want to be better parents. So the first thing is this, your relationship with Jesus affects every other relationship in life. Number two, your child, write this down, your child needs a parent, not another friend. Did I say I was meddling today? By the way, did I mention? Just want to prepare Your child needs a parent, not another friend. Now, for the past few weeks, I've been studying parenting, and obviously I said I'm more convicted than ever, but I've realized that until the age of 18 and beyond, there are four key stages at key ages in a child's life. So I'll encourage you, take some notes here because you'll go back to that. But here are the four stages and each stage requires a different kind of parenting uh, from the mom and dad, okay? Or a different kind of uh, focus. The first stage is the, develop, the developmental years, which is from zero to five years old. The developmental years are the most, according to psychologists and psychiatrists, these are the most formative years in the life of your child. These are the years where you are teaching your child the difference between right and wrong and the consequences for disobedience. You have to remember, your child just doesn't come out of the womb knowing the difference of right or wrong or what's expected of them. No baby does that, okay? Number two, the second stage. The second stage is five years old to the age of 12, which is the training years. The training years are the time where you begin to teach them why you're instructing them, why you're correcting them. These are the times where you start to explain to them and, and kind of walk alongside of them. Now here's the goal, and I want you to get this. The goal is not behavior modification. The goal is heart transformation. Heart transformation, not behavior modification. You're not forcing them with some disciplinary action to act a certain way without teaching them the why behind the what. You're instilling habits through this season of life in their minds that they do habitually so that when they're out of the home later, they act, they act naturally. The why behind the what. Does that make sense? This is probably some of the hardest years, and that's the third developmental stage, which is the, the coaching stage. These are the coaching years from 12 to 18 years old. 12 to 18 years old, the coaching years. These are, you ready? These are the years where identity 
and destiny are formed within the child. This is them trying to figure out who they are and who they want to become. Now here's the key, write this down, this is the key. This age you want to correct less and connect more. Correct less and connect more. Full disclosure, I have a propensity to always say no a lot. Candy has a propensity to always say yes a lot. I'm working on saying yes more than no, amen? Because you gotta find ways to say yes to things. Because I'm all, no, we're not gonna do it. No, sleepover, we're not gonna do that. Uh, you know, and then it's like, dad's always no, mom's. So I wanna find ways to coach them. And one of the ways you coach, as you know, is not on the field running the plays for them, a good coach coaches from the sideline even better. Some of the best coaches are in the booth unseen. And they're calling plays from the booth onto the field. Now, a good coach knows that the best lessons are learned when someone fails or suffers, right? When you fail at something or you suffer at something, you don't succeed at something, you know those are the best lessons. And it's at that point as a parent, you come alongside to lift them up and comfort them and console them. Now let me give you some biblical evidence for that. Did you know Jesus Christ as the son of God himself learned obedience through suffering? Did you know this? Jesus himself, hard to wrap our mind around this. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. During Jesus's earthly life, he offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what? From what he suffered. This is the stage I like to say where you stop being a helicopter parent, right? Now does anybody know what a helicopter parent is? This is a mom or a dad who's always hovering over the child. They wanna protect the child, you know, wrap the child in bubble wrap so the child doesn't get hurt, right? Always hovering, always short leash at all times. And uh, Candy will admit she was a helicopter mom at one time. She said, she said one time she was with Rig a couple years ago and uh, Rig's like, well, why can't I do it? Why, why are you so interested in what I'm doing? And Candy said, well, Rig, you need to understand the reason I'm so protective is because I'm what you call a, um, a helicopter mom. <laughs> to which Rig keenly said, mom, I think it's time for you to lose the wings and get in a car, right? <laughs> which Candy will admit, that was good advice for her, right? I mean, this is the stage where you lose the wings and you start coaching uh, from, from the sideline. Now, here's the final stage. This is the most fruitful season out of the formative years. And that is the fourth stage is relational. It's the relational years, 18 plus. These are the years that you experience the blessing of the planting and cultivating and watering and, and sowing of seeds in the hearts and lives of your children. And I, I wanna remind you, parenting is kind of like gardening, right? And I think one of the best examples is how bamboo trees actually grow. If you've ever studied bamboo trees, it's an interesting uh, way that they grow. Uh, you plant a seedling in the ground and you cover it up and you start to water it. It takes, you ready for this? Five years of watering and fertilizing this seed, which has no apparent growth on the top of the soil. You can go look this up online. So basically for five years, all of the growth happens out of sight. 
You never think you're making headway. You never think the plant is growing. You never think anything's happening. Parents, are you with me? Do they hear anything I'm saying? Is any of this making sense? Are you hard-headed? Are you listening? You know, so you think, so five years of absolutely nothing, but if you miss a day or a week, it kills the plant. And then all of a sudden, after five years of nothing above the surface, the bamboo tree shoots up for the, from the ground, ready for this, and over the next five weeks, it will grow 90 feet in five weeks. So here's the question. The question is, how long does it take to grow a bamboo tree? Five years or five weeks? And the answer is yes to both. It's all of it. See, any time along the way in that five-year process where all the deep work is happening at the root system for the foundation of the stability for the growth of this tree, all below the surface, if you neglect it or forget it or throw it to the side, then you'll never produce a bamboo tree. And you gotta realize, most people have patience with that. Some people don't have patience to grow a tree. Let me ask you personally, what about you? What kind of patience do you have when it comes to parenting? I don't think it's any accident, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, I don't think it's any accident that when the Apostle Paul gives an explanation in his chapter of love, of the qualities and characteristics of what love is, I want you to know, watch this, what is the first line he starts with, 1 Corinthians 13. The very first line in this entire chapter, notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is what? Patient. Have you ever seen that before? And I think patience overshadows the whole passage. Why? Because when you love someone, you're no longer on your time schedule. When you love someone, you know how to slow down and walk at their pace. And we have to admit, you know, who, you know who's the best at this? Grandparents, right? I mean, grandparents are way better than parents at this. They know how to slow down and be patient. Here's what they know. They know you can't rush a relationship with a grandchild or a child. They know you can't microwave memorable moments in the life of a child. It takes time. And so I like to say it this way, either you're a parent who is gonna spend quality time when your children are in the home so that they wanna spend quality time when they're out. But if you neglect time, quality time in the home, don't be surprised when when they're out, they don't wanna spend time with you. Another way to think of it is this, and I'm convinced of this. Everyone in here has children. You're either gonna parent your kids when they're in the home are you gonna parent them when they get out of the home, but everybody's gonna parent their child? Everybody. The problem is the parenting when they're out the home, there's more consequences, there's bigger problems, it's more expensive, the heartaches are a whole lot more. I have some friends, uh, Candy, Candy and I have some friends who have uh, two children who are now, not children, two adults that are 35 and 41. And all through the time of these, uh, these two growing up, mom and dad were out building a business. And let me tell you something, they're very, very successful. Tons of finances and wealth today, tons of them. Very, very focused on building a business when the kids were young and they were out partying and hanging out with friends and doing things with couples, going on trips together and they never spent time with their children. And I knew even back then that I knew that may be a problem. So here they are today, 35 and 41. Both of them have had multiple failed relationships, 
marriages that have fallen apart, mom and dad still pay the bills, mom and dad still bail them out of every problem, and mom and dad still provide housing for them. Why? Because they're still raising their kids. You're gonna raise them in the home, or you'll raise them when they get out, but we're all gonna raise our kids one day. But the point of raising is not to keep them in the home. Did you know this? The point of raising our kids is to launch them out in the world, which is exactly what the psalmist says, right? Look what Psalm, uh, look what Psalm 127 says, verse three, which is an interesting, inter uh, verse four actually. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior or the sons born in one's youth. And so the idea is you raise your kids not to keep them home, you raise your kids to what? To launch out, what is the purpose of an arrow? You ever thought about this? What is the purpose of an arrow? To launch it, to shoot it, right? And so what he's saying is, your goal as a parent, as a grandparent, is to raise a child so they grow up to live a God-honoring, independent life for the glory of God. And so one of the ways Candy and I, this is a very practical insight here, but one of the things Candy and I have tried to do in the home is, we have tried to teach our kids fewer rules for greater trust, okay? So just remember this little adage. Fewer rules lead to greater trust, leads to greater formation. More rules leads to confusion. So you got rule, did you break rule 47B? Get a look in the handbook, son, because that's not allowed in this home, right? So we have three rules, three categories, everything comes under these three rules. These may not be your rules, but these are our rules. You should have some kind of rules, some kind of regulations. I'm gonna give them to you. The first one is this, we always tell the truth in the home. We always tell the truth. Number two, we honor our mom. Uh, and I'll explain these in a minute. No, no particular order, by the way. We honor our mom. We tell the truth. And number three is we have no negative talk toward another person in the family or ourselves, really. Okay, here's the first one, tell the truth. What we teach our kids is covering up a lie has greater consequences than telling the truth in the moment. And so we're trying to get them in a reflex, kind of a knee-jerk response to be able to tell the truth when we ask them. Now, this is part of your responsibility as a parent to cultivate an environment of communication where your children can feel comfortable sharing this with your child. Now, here's the thing. If you expect your children to tell the truth, then you can't freak out when they tell you the truth, okay? And here's what you're gonna have to do, mom or dad, just a challenge for you. You have to go home to the mirror, and you're gonna have to practice your poker face, okay? <laughs> and you just got to look, and you're gonna get your spouse to ask you questions. And here's the question. You looked at what on your phone? <laughs> she texted you what? That's the poker face, okay? It's not the freak, that ain't gonna work. I just write it, mom don't know what, mom don't wanna hear. You know, she said what to you? So you practice your poker face for them and you have to listen to them and cultivate this, this community of honesty. Number two, respect your mom. It's a big one in our home. I remember when uh, a couple years ago, one of the boys at the dinner table said something disrespectful to Candy and I said, have you lost your mind? Who do you... What do you think you're talking to like that? If I don't let somebody outside the home talk to your mom like that, I'm sure not gonna let you in, get up to your bedroom and think about what you said. With the love of Christ, I said it, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, with the love of Christ, of course. And you never get upset with your kids, but I've heard of parents who've done that, right? Uh, 
I got convicted. Uh, I'm not going to mention the child, but he, he went upstairs, and I got convicted about it, and I thought, you know what? All that's true. I mean, what I said was right, but that's more behavior modification, not heart transformation. I need to tell him the why. So I went upstairs, and I said, son. And by the way, this word is used a lot in our home. Son, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have acted that way. I do it all the time because I mess up a lot. Son, I shouldn't, have acted, I shouldn't have said it that way. Here's what I was trying to say to you. What I was trying to show you is that respecting God is the most God-honoring thing we can do. In fact, that's what we should do in life. We should live a life that honors and respects God. And one of the ways we, and, and he said, yeah, I agree. And I said, one of the ways we honor and respect God is to honor your mom. When you honor mom, you honor God. Now, guys, listen to me. You can't expect your child to honor their mom if you're constantly belittling and putting her down. Because they'll say that's just par for the course. They'll follow suit. This is what dad does. Or mom, you can't be argumentative or dad argumentative and putting someone down all the time or always at each other. Because they'll think this is acceptable behavior in our home. That's just what we do. But we teach our boys respecting their mom is more than just what you say with your lips. It's actually how you live. You respect your mom in our home by picking up the trash and cracker packaging and Capri Suns and Sprite bottles strewn all over the play game room after you're done. Can I get an amen, mom? That's how you honor your mom. Kids, are you listening? That's how you honor your mom. You honor your mom by holding the door for her, amen? You honor your mom by getting off the television before the 10th time before you go to school. Can I get an amen? Turn, that never happens in your home. We're like, turn the TV off, boys. Turn the TV off, boys. It takes three minutes, three times before it even registers on the radar at our home, right? Uh, my dad used to have, just, just a sidebar here, my dad's greatest contraption to wake me up, because I had ADHD. I know you don't believe this, but I have ADHD. <laughs> was a squirt bottle of water. It's a true story, Dad. Dad remembers. That he'd walk around. When I was sleeping on the couch, he'd just shoot me. <laughs> it's a true story. When I wouldn't wake up for school, he'd just shoot me. He'd shoot me from the door. He got so, and I could throw, I, I'd carry, I'd keep a shoe in the bed at one time. I'd try to pick him off, you know, because I was mad. And he'd get around the corner and just pop me in the face. And boy, it's amazing how that, fro that cold water on a, on a face that's sleeping just pops you right up in the morning, right? So uh, that's, that's a lanyard point right there. But anyway, number three, no negative talk about self or other people in the home. And we teach our boys this. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself if you're going to belittle or put down or be negative Nancy all the time to someone in this home. And so we tell the boys, you have two jerseys we wear in this family. We wear a Team Jesus and we wear a Team Galilee. And both of those jerseys are, are important. We're gonna edify and lift each other up and honor God. The fourth thing we do, and I wanna give you this one, and this one just prepare you, it's gonna be a hard pill to swallow for some of you, so I wanna prepare you for this one. This one is a big one. You need to discover and develop your children's, children's dreams and not yours. Look at me. You need to discover and develop your child's dreams, not yours. One of the most unnecessary pressures that parents put on their children are in the areas of dreams and goals in their life. I've had the privilege for um, 10 years now to coach uh, my boys since they were five years old up until now in basketball every year. 
And during that time, and I hadn't missed a year, which has been great, and during that time, I've done a study of just watching dads vicariously live through their children in the area of sports, and they expect more and want more from the child, even him or herself. And you've seen this before, it may be you. They want the child to go further than they did. They wanted to see the child play more than they want to see the child the child wants to play. And I remember this even in my own life because it happened to me. Years ago, I had this great idea when we were living in Chattanooga that I wanted to do a family activity that the entire family could love and be a part of. And so I said, I want y'all to join me in something that I love, martial arts. And the boys were on board. It was, it was Candy that was kind of a slow adopter in the family. And Candy said, well, well, Robbie, I've never hit anybody in the face before. I don't know if I can do that. I said, babe, the first time you get popped in the mouth, you're gonna hit him right, I promise you, you hit him right. And boy, she was good, she got so dangerous. I mean, she got scary in the home, you know what I mean? It's scary, but uh, that's a joke. But uh, I always wanted to get a black belt myself, so I thought, man, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna get the family, and boy, we went for about two years in Chattanooga, and then we moved to town here, and obviously Long Hollow was way too much for me to do that, and I was doing martial arts at the church, so I didn't need to, it's a joke, <laughs> at the gym, at the gym, at the gym. So, so, but we put the boys in. So the boys kept going and they went a couple more months and I'll never forget the ride home, picking Rig and Ryder up from the dojo. Rig leaned over to me and he said, hey daddy, I don't think I wanna go to the gym anymore. He said, that's something you love, but that's not something I love to do. Now, I had a laundry list of rebuttals. I was gonna say, well, you don't understand. You're gonna like it, I promise you. You're really... And when you go to school and somebody picks up, you just pop them right in the mouth. I mean, you're... that's gonna help you. One, I mean, just telling you with the love of Christ, of course. And, the... and, and I said, but the tournaments, like we're gonna go to and the trophies, you're... I had all that ready to, to shoot forth ammunition-wise, but I didn't say anything. I said, you know what? I swallowed my pride and I said, you know what? Well, let's find out what you do love and we'll do that. Let me, let me give you this line, and I think this is a big line for you to meditate on. I hope you hear this with the right heart from somebody who's been there. Don't force feed your expectations onto your child. Key word there is force feed. Don't force feed your expectations on your child. Rather, go on a journey with them, a boy or a girl, a young man, a young woman, to figure out what the God-given talents they have in each one of them. Here, here's the newsflash, and I want everybody to hear this online in person. Here's the newsflash. You need to know this, and somebody needs to tell you this. Your son is not going to make the NFL or the NBA, okay? You're, you okay with that? And if you don't believe me, go look it up online. I went and looked it up this week. Your son or daughter has a better chance of getting struck by lightning than making that. But you go out to some of these ball fields in town, golly. I mean, he's, he's, he's destined for stardom. He's 5'2". <laughs> no offense to a 5'2 guy, but stardom in what? A jockey? Anyway, so anyway, but I, no, no, no offense to jockeys. No offense, no offense to jockeys, because we need jockeys. Let me get back on track. That's not in the notes. That is not, that is not in the notes at all right there, golly. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get an email on that one. I promise you, I promise you. <laughs> That's an email code. But anyway, <laughs> let me say this to you. Your daughter, with all due respect, is probably not gonna cheer and dance for an SEC school or act on Broadway. And here's the reality, that's okay. It's okay. 
because God has uniquely gifted and created them for great things. He's destined them to do great things for him. It's your job as a parent to discover and develop and to cultivate things for the glory of God, amen? Number five, this is where Candy and I are living right now. Number five, memories are more meaningful than money. This is a big one. Memories are more meaningful than money. Ephesians chapter five, Paul's talking about just generally redeeming the time, but I felt like it was a helpful scripture for all of us. Ephesians 5.15, pay careful attention. Really notice what season you're in, how you walk. Not as an unwise person, but as a wise person, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Here's what I want you to realize. Giving money and presents may pacify in the moment, but it will be forgotten over time. And it seems like it's an easy out. Don't substitute memories for money or material things. I'm not saying, saying you can't give your child gifts. I'm not saying you can't buy them things, but don't give them things over time. That's the key. No child, uh, no adult who was a child years ago ever grows up and says, dad, I'm so grateful. When I was 10 years old, you gave me that Sonic Funko Pop. Man, that was so awesome. You wouldn't found that there, right? They don't say that anymore. No girl growing up in the late 90s like me says, man, mom, thank you for working day and night to go out and find me a Cabbage Patch doll for Christmas. Or thanks for helping me build that Beanie Baby collection, which we thought we were gonna be millionaires from. <laughs> Anybody remember? <laughs> it's like every time my boys bring me a collectible, dad, this, this thing's gonna be worth money. I say, yeah, so are the Beanie Babies, son, <laughs> which everybody has in their closet and attic right now, right? Here's what they say instead. They say, dad, do you remember the time when we went to Disney World with Granny and Poppy and you got off of the Avatar ride, which you normally get sick anyway, and you acted like you were about to throw up and Granny and Poppy, we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. That's what they remember. That's all they remember. See, presents they will forget by next month. Memories are etched on their soul for a lifetime. I began the whole series with this idea of rhythm and balance, if you remember. And I said, the best thing you can do is to find the rhythm of life you're in, the season of life you're in, and live that season to the fullest. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with the age of 18. If you have children in the home, grandchildren, start with the age of 18. And I want you to back up to where you are now. And I want you to look at how many years you have left with your children. So if you do it for, for Candy and me, Rig is 14 years old. That means Rig only has four years left in our home before he's gone. But if he has wheels at 16, which normally a child gets a car at 16, they're gone anyway. So feel the weight of this. For us, this is the weight we feel. We have two years left to invest and disciple him for the rest of his life. Ryder, six years in the home, four years before he gets with. You see the reality of where we are. So here's my challenge to you. And if you get nothing else from the sermon, this is it. Become a memory maker. Become a memory maker. For, for Christmas, we decided instead of giving just gifts, we wanted to give some gifts and we surprised the boys with a surprise trip the day after Christmas to Washington, D.C. So we were like, man, this is gonna be all. And, and honestly, Three or four months ago, that was a genius idea. Until the Southwest debacle, the day after Christmas. <laughs> Who knew, right? 
Um, and so we went to the airport. We were supposed to land in D.C. at 10.15. We didn't land till 5.30 and then waited about an hour and a half, two hours in this mayhem in Washington, D.C. at the baggage coming, mean, literally standing like this, two hours, bags everywhere. And we looked for a Southwest employee and they were all hiding in the back. I didn't blame them either. And I'm not bitter, I'm just saying. I mean, it was something. And we got back, and the boys were troopers, thank God. We got back to the, to the hotel like seven o'clock for dinner and we grabbed something quick. And, and I said, we're gonna put all that behind us. And I'm telling you, the next few days were awesome. The Capitol, Ford's Theater, the Smithsonian's, it was awesome. And I broke this news to them like the day before we were gonna fly home. I said, guys, I know the flight home is an hour and 40 minutes, but I don't trust Southwest right now. I don't wanna be stuck the day before New Year's Eve in Washington. So boys, we're gonna call it a good old fashioned Christmas vacation, Griswold style, cross country trip home, <laughs> Gallaty style. Dad, it's, it's a long journey. I said, yeah, it's 12 and a half hours, boys, but we're gonna have fun. And I tried to make it as fun as we could. Candy will tell you, we got in the car and we decided to take our time. You ever done a trip before and took your time? Because when I go to Florida, I'm trying to drive the speed limit Sorry, Bubba. <laughs> but just get there faster than normal, right? Like, no stops. We don't go to the bathroom, get a cup, you know, anyway. But anyway, but anyway, but anyway we don't do that. We don't do that. I thought of it. But, but the reality is we, we, we drove home. And as soon as we hit, went home, we went to my favorite restaurant on the way home, Ruby Tuesdays. Can I get an amen? That salad, I mean, I can't pass up the salad bar. Dylan knows when I travel with Dylan, we always hit that Ruby Tuesdays. I can't pay candy to get that salad bar. We had every multiple gas stop on the way home, our gas station. We got snack after snack. And just when the, the children were waning and just when the trip was about to fall apart, about 7 p.m., we made a stop at America's great, greatest junk food haven rest area. Bucky's for the win, baby. Can I get an amen? Bucky's for the win. And that brisket sandwich saved the night. Am I, can I get an amen? I mean, save the night. And we got home and it was late. I mean, it was like 10 o'clock. And I'll tell you right now, they will never, ever forget that trip. Friends, here's the challenge. Be a memory maker. Make memories with your kids. Pull out the Nintendo and smoke them in Mario Kart for the glory of God. Amen. And show them, dad's still got some skills, right? Moms, play Super Mario Brothers with them, right? Make a late night run to Custard at Andy's Custard or Brewster's, by the way, that just came to town or even Dairy Queen, right? Just go with your kids, make memories. Wake up early on Saturday mornings and take them to Shipley's. We, we do that every Saturday. We call it Saturdads, right? We just hang out. And most of the memories don't cost any money, right? You can have a family game night with your family. You can open the Bible and read to them stories. And you can tell family stories of things growing up. Kenny was out of town this weekend and the boys were together. And they always say, Dad, tell us a story. Tell us another story. And I want to hear stories. Uh, you can have family worship in the home. You can talk at the dinner table. You can take them out to dinner on a certain night. Here's the reality. A thousand ways you can be intentional in their life. Here's the point I want you to see. The number one thing your children are telling you, and I would submit if they're acting out right now, they're screaming even louder. Here's what they're saying. The number one thing they crave in this world is you. you Dad, listen to me. They crave you. You know how they spell love? T. I-M-E. 
T-I-M-E. And so I want us to just confess to the Lord, and I'm not trying to put guilt or shame on us. I want us to just confess to the Lord that we needed this today. We all needed this today because it's easy to get off track. It's easy to, to slip. It's easy to put things that are temporal and not lasting in front of things that are important in our life. And so I wanna challenge you, just a moment, we're gonna come and I'm gonna invite you to come and just pray. Grab the hand of your spouse and just come pray and commit your family, commit your children to the Lord. Maybe you're a single mom, single dad in here, you're just gonna commit yourself to the Lord and then pray for your children by name. I really want us to take advantage of this time and really just lift up our child, our, all of our children to the Lord, give them over to God. And so let me pray for us as we close. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Hey, if you're in here, I'm not gonna call you out. Just wanna pray specifically over you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, hey, I needed that today, Rob. Robbie, I needed that today. That was for me. I'm not gonna slip, nobody's looking but me, I promise. If you're a parent in here, thank you. Hands all over. Anyone else? Grandparent, I need that. I needed that today. That was for me. Thank you for that. And I'm not taking it negatively. I'm taking it as a motivation to double down, to be more engaged. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray right now for those who have responded. God, we all need to hear what you expect of us and what you challenge us, that children are a heritage, a reward, offspring from you and like arrows in a bow that are shot out into the world. God, that's our, that's our job. What a great responsibility to, to be a parent. And all at the same time, what a great challenge. And God, we know that we can't do it without you, so we need your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.